Hey everyone, before we kick this episode off, I urge everyone listening to like and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you may get your podcast from. So if you listen to us on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating, or also subscribe to us on Spotify. And I urge all of our listeners to head to our website, and you can get more than just our podcast from there. We have news stories all the time there, we have feature articles there, so head to tnpmedia.au, that's tnpmedia.au. Alright, without further ado, we'll get stuck into the podcast. Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Alright, I'm Nicky Chambry from the Talk and Power podcast. This is episode 176 and uh, I can already see I'm going to have to do some editing tonight. That, that overlay was terrible. Hey, um, thanks Simon. <laughs> I'll just, yeah, just, these are the special notes. Anyway, I'm Nick DeChumbry from the Talk and Power podcast. I'm here with my co-host Simon Gonzo Travellini. Johnny Alardi way over there and our other co-host will be joining us in a moment, Todd Brintworth over there. We have some really special guests with us tonight. I'm here with David Priolo, Andrew Priolo and Jason Priolo as well. Jason's Jason is doing, he's getting some drinks. This is our very special Christmas podcast. Welcome to it. If you're listening to us, we are transmitting, we're not live, but we're recording live, from the Italian Club here in Western Australia. And I've, I would like to thank Sal Vallelonga, Morena Strano, uh, and the entire team down here, Maria as well, in particular behind the bar there, for making it possible tonight. Can I tell you something? That to this club next year in 2024 will be 90 years old, and it makes it the oldest Italian club in the world. So there's some there's some great news there. So that's impressive. It is impressive uh, to think when you think about all the Italians that left Italy and populated the world. To think that this is the oldest Italian club in the world, that's really that's that is awesome. Anyway, but without further ado, speaking of, we have some, we've also got with us as well, he's going to be joining us in a moment as well, a bit later on, Chris Mitchell from the Perth Motorplex as well, so thank you for joining us, Chris, it's great to, it's great to have you here with us tonight as well, we'll be talking to him. Now, um, I guess we start, I like to start off with this question with, with a lot of the guests that I have. Over the years I've interviewed a few Italians in motorsport. And I would love to know, this is a question for all of you, the three of you, what do you think it is that's inherent in Australian Italians that came to Australia and their children, or them themselves, flourished in motorsport in Australia? What, what, what do you think that is? I reckon that was a racetrack in the city of Stirling, probably. <laughs> you don't reckon it was getting away from the police? Probably. <laughs> Scarborough Beach Road, probably. <laughs> yeah, not sure. I've, um, David could probably answer that because he's older than me, so he's probably um, had a bit more experience with uh, where it all started. Mom was obviously my old man, but I don't know. I think he got it from. I think the Italians just loved cars and it just whether they wanted to drag race and then that leads to another thing. 
they thought the drag strip was the street back probably when my dad was growing up years ago. I'm sure Simon can <laughs> relate. I think the Scarborough car park was yeah. a... <laughs> Scarborough car park is a good one. But when you think about it, look at all the guys that excel in motorsport in Australia. Like, if you look at the, the top tier, we've got Daniel Ricciardo of Italian descent. Uh, Oscar Piastri as well, and then when you work your way down, like you look in drag racing, and it's fundamentally uh, uh, very well supported by Italians. And it's it's a question that I always ask because I don't know. In Italy, was there a, a passion, or was there something inherent that comes from there that has a desire for the for cars? I think it uh, it might be a word that starts with P, and for each family, it's probably different. But uh, ours was Pino. Well, man, obviously started it all, but no, no, honestly, for the Italians, I think it's no different than Ferrari. I think it's passion. The Italians bleed passion. It doesn't matter if it's uh, anything they compete in, really. And uh, and motorsport, you get to showcase that passion. And I think that's what uh, what attracts so many Italians to the sport is they really get to showcase the Italian. They get to do it together as a team, which is like having the family, la familia around you. And uh, and then they can yell at each other when something goes wrong as well. So. Um, but for us as well, I think uh, being one of four boys, I think that the competitiveness probably started from as early as uh, getting to the fridge first and making sure we got the leftover cutlet first. Yeah, Jason so there's always a race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's because uh, they were sick of riding goats and uh, they were good, good to get some cars, you know, instead of riding horses and goats back in the day, you know, when they saw some cars when they came here. They, Maybe it was more affordable, but who knows? But I've, I asked Phil Lamartina this question when I interviewed Phil Lamartina, Australian top field champion, and he answered it very well just by saying, as a child growing up on a farm, that's, that's just exactly what you did. That's, that's how life was. So, you know, um, it's, it's an interesting question. Well, we'll start with you, David. I, you're, you're down there. Look, talk us through your recent activities. You, you, speaking of... Again, harping on the same thing, but Elf Barbagallo, you're representing uh, Elf. Talk us through what sort of honour that is representing Elf, in, in especially now. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've always been a bit of a historian of the sport. You know, I was a, I was a race fan. Obviously, with my dad racing, I was a race fan before I was a racer. And, uh, and I used to sit there every weekend at Claremont Speedway watching my dad go around. And, and through that era, I was blessed to see so many icons of the sport. You know, we got to see... I didn't get to see Ray race, unfortunately. I was, I'm a little bit, uh, little bit younger. I'm a spring chicken, only 19. But uh, I, I got to see like uh, Ray Geneve drove for my dad at the time. That was pretty, pretty special. And, but even guys like you know Ron Cricky in his prime, Mark Wells in his prime, Shane Murphy, my father Pena Priolo. Um, it was such a golden era. You know Michael Figlamini, what that guy did in a race car. So um, that that filled the passion for the the nostalgia of the sport and, and those legends it it created and. Uh, I've, I've always been one to um, to not let, let let that slip away and really celebrate the legends of the sport. And uh, you know, we did uh, years ago. We did a tribute to John Day uh, with the livery of my car, um, just to just to showcase. You know, what what a legend this guy's put 50 years into the sport. And uh, you know, and the way that all came about is one day I'm, I'm washing the race car and I'm thinking to myself. God, I'm, I'm complaining about washing one race car. That poor guy has to wash 15 of those utes. And you know what? He brings them down every week and they're shiny. He's been doing it for 50 years and he's never won one trophy. So, you know, for 
it was good just to give something back to him and 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 again with the elf thing you know when the the opportunity come up and we could partner with them as a as a corporate partner of our team um my thing was to build build on the legacy of elf barbagallo you know he was such a he's, he's the biggest icon of our sport hands down uh, he's still the most successful racer of our sport so let's let's re-celebrate him you know he, he went and did the v8 supercar thing and and sort of went away from the sport for for a good period of time but now he's back let's let's really you know let's let's devote some time to him and uh, and, and that's why I, I do the car in, in his honor and so on it's a big honor like when you talk let, let's talk about elf barbagallo briefly here um he's one of the he's the most winningest driver at claremont speedway he actually listen to this for a stat he's actually won 79 and a half races and i looked at that i said how do you win half a race <laughs> And then I looked into it further. Uh, he tied. It was a dead, dead tie, heat. dead heat with Ray Geneve. Like that was back in 1970. So uh, I guess I don't know. But like, how amazing is that? So yeah, he's one of the most. Who, who won? Who won more fights in the pits? That's what we all on about. <laughs> Between Ray and Elf, I think. <laughs> I think the scorecard on that one was just as much as the feature wins. It's probably 49 and a half here or there. Fair I think enough. I think the matters would have taken that one out, eh? <laughs> Actually, uh, quick funny story on the on the fights, especially with Matter. Uh, Ray Geneve got in a fight with Matter one night, and uh, Tony was, you know, he was a little pocket rock, but he was fiery, you know. And he's coming at Ray, he's swinging the fist and yelling at him. So Ray let him go for a minute, then he just picked him up by the collars of his race suit and hung him on the fence in the pit area. <laughs> These are some of the stories. We love hearing these stories on the podcast. I, I really hope Tony doesn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot oh, to might. finish. Tony had the last laugh because when he was hanging up there, he kicked Ray in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may wake up next to a horse's head <laughs> tomorrow morning. So we'll talk us through this year in particular... Your preparations for, for this year, you've got their Barbagallo 8W, 8WX car. Uh, we're going to get Chris on shortly to talk about the festival of Sprint Car. But talk us through that, um, how your pre preparations been for this big $30,000 winner-takes-all winner race? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. So we, um, we looked at doing this race three years ago. So this is uh, the third year it's been running in, in some form. Um, so we started out as, as honouring Elf as, as a race meeting. The first year I paid 7000 Last year I said to the guys, Let, let's, let's up the ante. Let's make it the most, the, the highest paying sprint car race in Western Australia. And to do so, we doubled the prize money. So we paid 15000 And then again this year, let, let's, let's make this thing. We're now one of the biggest races in Australia. So we've taken that to $30,000. So um, with the great work of Gavin Migro, me and him collaborate really well. We, we both think about the same, same sort of aspects of the sport, trying to push it forward and, and grow sprint car racing in general. And, and this race meeting really gives us an avenue to do that. So we're planning on um, this being our Knoxville Nationals for Australia. In the, in the, the not too distant future, that's where we aspire to be. Um, you know, it's, it's called the Barbagallo Nationals now. We've had a name change. Um, it's, it's an event that goes over the whole week, you know, with uh, incorporating the Crookie Boys shootout the week before. Um, we're going to have camping this year at the track for the whole week. So there, there's going to be action basically all week. So you could stay at the Perth Motorplex and, uh, and be entertained, whether it be by bands, hearing from legends, racing, you know, events going on the whole weekend. So it should be great. It's an, an incredible event. It's, it's almost like Perth's, uh, you know, international festival of speed. 
Mm. You know, just uh, five, five nights of racing, just unbelievable. All up, there is $160,000 up in prize money for the week. Am I right? Is that right? Am I right? See, $160,000. Don't know, oversell it here, but $160,000 up for grabs here. So it's five nights of racing, as you said, February 9th to 17th. Barbagallo Sprint Car Nationals. There's a midweek sprint car mayhem, and then there's a Cricket Boys shootout as well. Dave, you, Dave, would you say that this is the biggest event in Australia? Uh, probably not as yet, because of the simply because of the history. So the, the Warnable Classic, I'd, I'd rate as the high, biggest race of the year. Yeah. Um, it, simply because it's been going 40, 45 years, I yeah, believe yeah. now. It pays similar money, but it's, it carries the prestige. And, um, and how long does that go for? Um, so that's over three, three nights. So basically they get 120 uh, competitors to that. Uh, they'll split the field into 60 cars a night. They'll do their preliminary night, and then everybody comes together for the, for the final. And, and it attracts you know, big American car counts. Um, there's, there's, I think, already 12 guys that have put their hand up from America to head over for that. So that's basically what we aspire to, um, uh, along with the Australian Championship. So I, I think at the moment we're probably third in the, in the pecking order. Our aim is probably in the next five years to take that to the top of the pe pecking order. Um, but we want to be a little bit different too. We want to be an event. Uh, we want to we showcase sprint car racing at the best venue in the world. We've got the luxury of doing it at the best venue in the world, whereas Warnable is obviously based in a country town. Yeah, they have a great racetrack, but they don't have the luxury of the facility that we've got. Um, so if, if we utilise that correctly and the, and the brainchild of the, the team at the Motorplex, uh, led by Gavin and Chris, um, the world is our oyster. Uh, we just really can keep growing this. I don't know about you, Nick, but I think they've got a great formula. I think it's going to be fantastic. Well, there's people like David who are now whiteboarding ideas as well. And even, I don't, I don't know if you've had a chance, any of you had a chance to read James, uh, James McFadden's article as well that he recently wrote as well. Like, what are your thoughts are on something like, like some of the ideas that he put forward? Sometimes this is not popular, but making races finish earlier is, is one, of, was one of his ideas. So, like, the night finished by 9 o'clock, then having a band perhaps afterwards. There were some ideas. James McFadden, a, a very well-known sprint car driver in Australia as well. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, hey, we've got to listen to him. This guy races around the world 110 times a year. So he's experienced from both ends of the world as a racer and uh, in some pretty, pretty high-caliber teams as well. So, um, yeah, I agree with a lot of things James said in that article. Um, look... The, uh, the landscape of the world sport is actually coming to us. We've always been a shorter form of motorsport. We get it done from, from six o'clock at night to 10.30 at night, that's four and a half hours. Everyone, every other sport has changed and adopted to that. You look at cricket, they went stale, they went 2020, and it's revived the sport. Football has always been pretty short, so it works, you know. Now, a lot of our supercars, I think, are struggling a little bit because that no one wants to go and sit on the grass, you know, for a day and a half anymore and watch, watch cars go around, you know. So, our sport impacts short, sharp as it is. Can we tidy that up? Absolutely. I, I, I can't see why at our Blue Ribbon events we can't be sprint cars only, um, which, which will be a shorter turnaround and, and just be pump, pump, action pack. And then it, it allows for the external stuff, you know, the bands and, and the, the entertainment as well. So, um, yeah, I, I really think that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Hey, would it be right... Not talking to you. You brought your son along tonight as well, Cruz. He's sitting down there. Um, 
I just want to talk briefly about him as well. What, what, a, what a career he's off to. So this year, correct me if I'm wrong, 46 race wins, 75 top three finishes, 72 fastest laps. We're talking about go-karting. Cruz is eight years old? Yeah, eight years old. What an awesome talent he is. Now, I watched that race, which actually you were commentating. <laughs> so I was watching that, and I think, that voice is familiar. That's Chris's voice. Anyway, what a magnificent race. That was for the, the state titles. Just talk us through that. Yeah, mate, it's been an unbelievable journey, which is why I've uh, scaled back my own racing. Um, I'm just on this awesome ride with him, and it, it's been so cool to do, you know. Um, you know, he's, he's a young kid with passion, like I was when I first started. And, um, and yeah, he's been going really well. It's been exciting to see. Um, you know, sometimes we have to slow him down to, to go faster, which is, which is cool. But, um, yeah, he's, he's had an outstanding year. And, and um, you know, we're going to keep pushing. We've still got a long way to go. It's a uh, job not done yet. Um, but, um, yeah, we're doing the whole Australian uh, karting championship with him again this year. Um, that's, that's really cool. So, yeah, we're just trying to really ele elevate his... Uh, his platform that he can perform on. And um, yeah, it just made, to be honest, the, the, the drives to and from the track, the conversations I get to have with my, my eight-year-old son about motorsport and about everything about life, it, it makes it all worthwhile. So, um, but yeah, like I said, um, we've just got to harness in. He's, uh, he's, he's pretty exciting to watch, but sometimes it's to his detriment. He gets caught up in some silly instances. So he might come from 10th to the lead and then try and win by 10 seconds and crash himself out. So I tell him off sometimes and then, uh, the person standing next to me usually says, mate, have you ever watched yourself race? <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> he gets it from somewhere, Dave. Yeah, it sounded familiar. <laughs> hey, Jason, while we're talking karting then, we'll, we'll move over to Jason. Jason, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, BRM, BRM Racing is an Italian kart manufacturer. Um, they've been around... Uh, since the 90s. Uh, tell us a bit more about the BRM brand. Yeah, so BRM uh, been in Australia for well, a fair while since, since you know, late night, well, early 2000s. Um, a guy in, in Victoria was the importer. Um, and then, yeah, we, just uh, it was probably five years ago, um, we sort of got back into karting from Speedway, just... Uh, to fill in them extra weekends, we didn't have anything to do. And uh, next thing we've become, you know, the Australian importer for BRM. And, you know, they're, they're a good Italian brand cart. Um, you know, it's obviously hard uh, karting. You know, there's a lot of carts out there. And um, obviously karting is, especially the kids, you know, if one goes well, all the other kids want the same cart. So it's taken a little bit to get to the level that we've needed to with the cart. Um, but uh, we've got some good drivers now, and now we're, yeah, like with Cruz, uh, last year was our first year uh, on the national tour, um, mainly because COVID, the two years before, wrecked our, our years. Sort of we did one or two rounds and then uh, couldn't go to any more. Last year was the first one on the, on the, you know, on the road, and we, had, we literally had five carts in the team, and there was literally one card in each class, and that's it. Which makes it hard when you're on the national level and you've got a, you know, new card, um, and you're on your own. So, but we went there. We we actually won a round of the national series, and then you know, people start looking at us a little bit differently. You know, a little team from Perth up against 
pretty big taller teams over there, big tents and you know they got good support and there's 10 drivers in each class and whatnot. Um, but we went over there, won around, um, you know we were standing next to a two-time world champion. Um, so that was good and then yeah now it's just gone to the next level. We've got some yeah more drivers this year um, and we've doubled in size for the team on the national level this year. Our local competition is pretty competitive. Um, we actually went to Europe and competed in the, the World Rock Championship um, in October uh, and uh, ran in the top 10 over there um, in KZ in the shifter car class. Um, and yeah, so we're just getting that, the BRM just back out on the, on, you know, it, it was 10 years from when it won a national round last time to when we won this year. Uh, it just goes to show how competitive it is and how hard it is. And uh, yeah, you know, you got, we've got, you know, there's probably four or five fair supercar guys that still come and race every of the national rounds, you know, and uh, and it was good this year. We had our, the first round in many years was in, we had a round in WA and uh, Chris was obviously commentating it and uh, everyone over East said it was the best round. You know, it is hard to get everyone over here every year um, just because they don't like travelling. They like to stay within 10, 10 hours of their home state. But, uh, yeah, so that was good also to get them over here and, and run a national round. And, you know, seeing the crowds here on Sunday this year was, yeah. was awesome. Well, that's, that's, it is awesome. And it's good to hear, like, that the team is growing. Talk us through. I deal with Italian, Italian companies in Italy every day. What's it like? Tell, tell everyone what it's like dealing with Italians every uh, day. Like, I mean, it, I mean that, like, because... They are very sales-driven. They're not like Aussies. No, no. There's um, Australians of two. Just, just remember where you are. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're, 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 they're good to deal but with. Do they, do they, are they always asking, they, uh, Jason, where's the next they order? They always give you a good deal. You know? No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, no, nah, look, they, they are very uh, stubborn, but I grew up with my dad, so I know what that's like. So, uh, look, it's I deal with China too, so... On another scale, that you know, it is what it is. It, it has helped going over there, yeah. Uh, and put it like just you literally get more done in an hour face to face, 100%. Yeah, than two months of being on the phone, yeah. Because especially, uh, obviously, you got apps and stuff that translates and, and things, and uh, sometimes you say one thing and it translates the total opposite, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, like I said, going over there. It is is a lot better, but uh, it is getting. You know, it's been five years now, so it is. Uh, it's getting easier to deal with, but there has been a lot of uh, yeah ups and downs, and uh, you just give up sometimes. And, you know. they're, they're very sales driven Italians. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what yeah. I've noticed. They don't but like uh, giving any uh, extra dollar. Nah. So the taxman will get them. Yeah. You know. No, that's good. That's good. So, and, I mean, in, in your mind, how important then, it's obviously very important, supplying the right equipment to the right people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we, we just try, um, for me, it's not my core business either, but we, we try just be cost effective for everyone. You know, karting can be very cheap, but it can be very expensive in, in different ways. So... Uh, we try to keep a, a good, um, you know, morale between everyone, a family orientated. Um, you know, on the weekend we had a bit of a, a camp um, for the team. Uh, but just having everything ready, parts ready, you know, 
saying to people, you don't need to hold all these spare parts in your trailer. We will be at the track with them. When you break something, you come and buy it. You know, like yeah. don't don't go spending another five thousand dollars on spare parts. You come get it when you need it. You know, and that's just the, you know, and a lot of the teams are, are doing that now. And a lot of the drivers pit inside the the main tents now for that extra service that yeah. they get, um, and providing the the driver coaching side of things. And you know, there's not many kids now that don't have driver coaches and data. You know. You know, Cruz knows more about data than I've ever known. Um, and that's just from people that we've got coaching. We've got yeah. a couple of good coaches, you know, Nick Middick and um, BD from B Sport has been with us f- from the start with helping our kids and stuff come along. Yep. And um, yeah, Jeff, it, it, uh, a lot of parents say when they get into kid, like junior, like cadets or juniors, one day with a driver coach is like him going to practice for. 10 times yeah. you know, just for what it costs it's a lot it's a lot better so providing that service for everyone is just yeah yeah so. no definitely i can understand that andrew we'll move along to you in the off season you became a dad congratulations Thanks, mate. what's that how's that going like your first child alexia how, how has that been um yeah it's been awesome actually it's um it's definitely a, a life-changing uh life-changing thing and i, I can I guess now that I've had a little one, I can probably understand sort of where David was at when he sort of started wrapping up a little bit and, you know, just wanting to spend that time at home. I mean, we've been pretty good with discipline as far as when we work on the car. Um, because my my race cars and, and everything's at, at my office where I work from every day, I try to um, stay out of there as much as I can and just stay focused on work. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to sort something out in the day, but... Um, whatever but you know we'll do our maintenance night on a wednesday night we'll get it done um and you know now you know i want to i want to be home after the gym and go home not go work on the car every night i mean i remember david always used to say you know my times when i used to go home at bath cruise um and, but then i think you know that could be good in one way but bad in another i mean he would go do a couple of hours on you know go bath cruise come back to a couple of hours on the car but then He'd be at the shop every night that week getting ready for that weekend and it'll burn you out. So I pretty much, um, I try to learn from what David did, I think, and try to do that one big night and just say, look, I'm not going to be home, but I'm home every other day. Yeah, fair enough. So no, that makes that makes sense. I, I get that. Talking of Wednesday nights then, like you, you, I saw that you actually practice engine changes. You got it down to 32, 31 minutes? Yeah. So that's, I mean, to me that sounds pretty quick. Um, that's the sort of the the, the trademark time. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so we uh, that we had um, we had a, a last year. I bought two brand new engines, and and one has a slight difference to it. Um, and we weren't sure whether we had to do something different with gearing to make this engine come to life. We didn't know why. I only used it once the season before, and it's meant to you know on it, you know. You probably uh, relate, but on a on a dyno, um, it showed that it was amazingly everywhere better than the other motor I had. But I said in the car, the other motor feels better. I don't know why. Um, don't, yeah, don't don't know the reason for it. So we wanted to try this back in the car for qualifying, and then basically um, I had another one or two nights I could put of racing on the engine that had to go back to Queensland. Um, so I, we thought we'll just qualify, try this gearing, and then put the other one back in. And also, um, fortunately, because I've, I do have a good engine program now, I, you know, Touchwood don't have um, you know too many engine issues, and 
we had um, we had a, a, a small engine issue. I remember the first time I went to well when I went to Darwin, um, David was was crawling for me back then when he wasn't racing and. We qualified second out of, I think it was 50 cars or something. I'd never raced at this racetrack. And there's every, because in the off season, there's every best competitor around Australia pretty much went to this event because it was around, around COVID and people weren't racing. So we, yeah, qualified second and hurt an engine. Only did one lap, hurt the engine on the second lap. Did an engine change and we made the most silly error. Um, I accidentally, we were all putting it in, popped a plug lead off the cap and the engine would idle, but as soon as it was... Um, went to take off, I lost my entire night's racing. So you go from being one of the highest points to you're in the, the back of the, you know, back of the bus. So we um, we learned from that and we thought we'll do an engine change just to see, you know, I'm sort of I'm sponsored by Beyond Tools. So I went there during that week and sort of got the tools that each person needs for the jobs that they're doing to try and speed up the process. We haven't practiced it as much as any other teams probably have, but goes to show like when we did it on that night, we did it in 31 minutes. Um, and then when we did it at the racetrack after qualifying, so we actually went quickest in our group with that engine. So the gearing seemed to have worked. Um, and then we did that engine change at the track in 19 minutes. So, wow. yeah, so I, I mean, Jason was the only difference there, but I'm not convinced he made all the difference. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> I reckon they had a big dinner halfway at the shop. So in the 31, I reckon they had a 10-course meal for 10 minutes. That's what slowed them down. Talking of practising, I see in your social media presence that you've got a fairly strict uh, fitness regime. Talk us through that as well. Yeah, I um, end of last season, I normally have a, a break. Um, end of the season, like, you know, I've always, whether it was with David when we trained at Danny Green's gym, David would pull me along with him and tell me I need to get fitter. And um, I used to do that with him a lot. Um, I might not look like the fittest person ever, but believe it or not, I do train a fair bit. Um, and the end of last season, because we knew that we were having the little one coming, I got straight into gym. I think I had one or two weeks off and started a new training thing at F45. And that's been massive to, to help my, you know, how I feel in the car and my racing. Um, and because, yeah, we knew we having a little one and I know what happens, you'll be sitting in the hospital and then every visitor coming around and the panettone comes out and all of that. So I was like, you know, well, I need to start early this year and try and get ahead. Um, and it was, yeah, it was good. It's just, um, you know, you, you, you have to do it now, I think, to stay focused. I mean, David was still, um, you know, even though he's only doing, you know, maybe a few races this year, you still, you can't just start training the week before you race. You've got to train from now. So yeah. he'd yeah. still be running probably 15, 20 k's a day. Well, it must be working, Andrew, because actually I heard Carl Langdon in one of his commentary, <laughs> you're high, wide and handsome. I think he just meant handsome. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, I, said, I thought he was talking about his driving style. <laughs> well, it could have been. I don't know. Carl Langdon is awesome. So, yeah, I thought I picked up on that. I said, oh, I have to, have to make a note of that. Yeah. High, wide and handsome. Nick, I think I think he, I think he's working too hard because apparently he had a bit of a cramp on the on his last uh, on his last that. race. <laughs> yeah, la the last we've gone from starting on the pole of the race before, um, you know, had a really good night and I was really happy because we finally put you know qualifying, didn't engine change, good heat races, start on the front row, or um, we'll start on the pole of you know, and it's it's tough every week here. I mean, going back ten years, there's probably three or four you know good you know really good drivers that would have a goal and 
um, and had really good equipment. And now there's, you know, there's 15 or 20. There's a good 15 that on their right night, if everything went right, they could win a race. Um, so we've gone from, from that to, um, it, I think it was like 25 minutes last race and we hadn't done a lap. And then we had an open like fuel stoppage and I was all good. I was just relaxing in the car. And then we've gone to take off and I've gotten a cramp in my right leg. And I have no idea why. I still got no idea why because I felt, felt all fine in the car. And then um, there was a couple of crashes after that. And I tried to like call, call someone over to unbuckle because they'll class it as a safety thing. And um, at that point, I had no feeling from the top of my hip all the way to my foot. So, you know, I started driving around on the bottom of the track and, you know, in the car, I'm going, this is ridiculous. But I knew there was a lot of crashes. I know what happens at those sorts of races, you know, and, you know, you sometimes got to think about sometimes you've got to finish the race too. There's no point in destroying your car when you're not in position to do anything good. So I think I went in one lap and I had zero feeling and I tried to go in um, close to the wall and because I didn't know where my foot was, I'm just going off noise, nearly stuck it straight in the wall and then I'm just, you're on the brake and you just, you're not, con- I couldn't focus at all. Um, it was, yeah, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't enjoy that, especially going from being one of the best cars the, the race before. Um, but yeah, don't, don't know why. And then they were clearing the incidents. Like, I think one of them, there was a crash and I, that was when I went to get out because I'm like, you know what, there's 15 laps left. As long as this goes away, I know I can come through cars. I know I'm better than some of the guys that were still running there. And um, they literally must have cleared this crash car in a minute. Like, it was... As soon as I've called someone over, it went yellow. And I was like, how do you clear a crash car? That, that never happens. But it was like 10.30 or whatever, and I knew they were going to just keep the show going. So, yeah. It's, it's an interesting... We, we've been talking about sprint cars. For the people that are listening, they probably haven't realised. We haven't actually said that. We're talking <laughs> sprint cars yes, here yes, tonight. Yes, we are talking about sprint cars. <laughs> so, there's a lot of things. Talk us through... Chris Nick, did a really... On, on that point, Nick, I'm pretty sure people know the Priolo name. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, <laughs> true, car. true. But for our US <laughs> listeners, just in case they weren't... They, pretty we sure the US listeners... They probably do, notice. actually. They probably do. <laughs> One of the things I want to talk about, and my wife's going to laugh when, when I say this, and I said, don't talk to me now, I've got to watch this video on grooving and siping. <laughs> Do you guys groove and sipe? Yeah. I've done that on the dance floor upstairs at the Italian club back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, believe it or not, it's a massive part of, uh, of sprint car racing. I'm definitely glad it's not my job. Um, but it's huge. Like, if you, um, if you don't... Put it so if you don't, if the tracks, if you're getting a lot of wheel spin and the tracks and the tyre gets too hot, the tyre will literally just bubble apart if you don't put vent holes in or people think you groove the tyre to get more grip, you know, on the car. But actually we groove the tyre as well when the track's really dry simply to let heat out of the tyre um, because the tyres won't last. So they've actually come out with a new tyre now which is going to be coming in next year, yeah. which vents more holes through it. So hopefully that's going to help a bit. So, so the the grooving bit I get, so you're cutting yep. grooves in. The siping bit then, so the so, so on the block, yep. you're cutting little yeah, so fillets into like the block. Grooving, Dave will probably explain this um, pretty well, but the grooving's basically, uh, you know, that can help as a wider vent and also for grip. So we, we will change the angle of how we do it. So if we do it, if we cut it straight across, it's giving you forward grip. If you cut it on an angle, it's helping you when you're sideways. And then the thin blade ones, they're simply just to vent that block. So it's just basically opens up 
the, the block into into two or three or four, whatever, you know, it's different. You, some of the blades, are seven blades in a row. We yeah. use two most time, and it just simply helps vent that block. But I'm sure David can... Yeah, so exactly what Andrew explained. So basically the idea of, uh, of working your tyres is, is you're trying to control uh, when your tyres at its most... Uh, at, at its best, at its peak. Um, so obviously the shorter the race, you want that tyre to come on really quickly. Um, you're not so worried about heat, but at the same time, you know, look, uh, for qualifying, you're going out there on a cold tyre and you, you're trying to set your fastest lap of the night. Um, so you, you're really getting, uh, you're really damaging that tyre. Um, so you see with Formula One, with qualifying, they might only do one, one lap on the soft tyre and the, the tyre's done. They get to the last corner and they're like, this tyre can't hold on anymore. Yeah. But yeah, they can make that soft tyre race in the ra- last in the race for 15 laps because mm. uh, they might be different tyre pressure. So we can control the tyre as, as it comes on with our tyre pressure, A, up or down, um, and then with the grooving and siping. So if we want the tyre to fire quickly, we might put some of those razor blade cuts you talked about, the siping. Um, so that, that will help the tyre fire because we've created more sharp edges for the tyre as it skids along the track. Um, but then, like Andrew said, that also helps dissipate heat because as the tyre's rolling over and they're opening up, it's letting that heat trap from the inside and, and get out and that lets the heat um, sort of get out of the tyre without blistering the block. Yeah, okay. um, and then in a longer feature, we might open those grooves up and just help that tyre sort of breathe because we don't want that peak to come on too early. We want it to come on later on in the future. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's, it's interesting. As I said, I was watching a YouTube video of that and my wife goes, what on earth are you watching? I said, I've got to know this stuff because <laughs> I've got to be all over this. Hey, look, tell us what makes a sprint car. It's it's fairly unique sort of vehicle in motorsport, isn't it? Because we don't see anything else really like it. Like, And Chris, you did an excellent video, a Sprint Car 101, a three-part, yeah, at Andrew's, <laughs> well, it's your car, and, and Chris did the video. Um, Sprint Car 101, part one, two, and three. And you talk about the things that make Sprint Cars so unique, like the chassis not being, was one inch higher on one side than the other. Uh, things like, um, this is one thing I did not know, and I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know this, but it was a single brake caliper on the front. I didn't know that. I thought you had two. So you, that's used to steer the car to a certain extent? Yeah, so it's even the same with the rear of the car, um, which, you know, the front, the front brake is on the actual wheel, so as you brake, it'll only stop that wheel. But believe it or not, the rear of the car is a single axle, which you'd think, what difference is it going to make where you put the brake? But the brake being on the left side of the car still pulls the car to the left, even though it's a solid axle. So, um, and that's huge. Like braking now in um, braking now in sprint cars has become a, a pretty big thing. We probably not as big in Western Australia because our track's a bit bigger. Me and David definitely don't know how to use brakes. I think I set a pads last season. Other people <laughs> are maybe one night, but um, yeah, it's you, you'd be amazed. And then other people put a thinner. Um, weaker brake on the right side of the rear solid axle to keep the car straighter. And so that it's, you know, the left one's still, you know, obviously more powerful, but the right one's going to help keep the car straighter. So you'd be surprised, yeah, how much the braking actually does. Yeah. Here's one thing for you, Simon. No data logger, no ECU, no traction control, just power steering. That's the only driver aid. That's debatable, the traction control one. (laughs) (laughs) 
There's, uh, a, there's, a, there's a few floating around mechanical here. Mechanical injection, Nick. Yeah, mechanical, mechanical injection. Yeah, 410 cubes, mechanical fuel injection, 900 horsepower, direct drive via a torque tube, a quick change transaxle, and literally one gear. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, what do they weigh? <laughs> uh, six. 600, just over 600 yeah. kilos. With, uh, with us in them full of fuel, you're looking at about 600 kilos. So power to weight ratio, I mean, top line engine now, you're looking at 950 horsepower, 600 kilo with us sitting in it full of fuel. So power to weight ratio is, you know, on par, not better than a supercar. Insane. So, uh, with a, than, a, than a Formula One car. So yeah. it's way surpassed the supercar. Um, so, yeah, just the acceleration on them is unbelievable because of that reason. The, there's no weight, way too much horsepower, got these big tyres and... Uh, and that's why when you see us take off, we, we're doing wheel stands and they want to try and kill us. Um, but that's what makes them so exciting. Yeah. Especially now, we, we spend sometimes half the night, like we'll qualify, which is our basically qualifying now sets your night up. So you, you put down two good laps. And because it's so close, sometimes, you know, I had last year, there'd be like two one thousandths and you've missed the full inversion. Your whole night's destroyed. Had you been two one thousandths quicker, your night's looking really good. Um, yeah. So it's, it's also close now. So we'll qualify always with maximum power. A lot of the time we'll come in and we've got restrictors that go in the intake. We change the fuel that goes in the engine. Some people change exhaust. Um, even to the point now, some people are taping up the entire air filter to limit any air getting in the engine and just try to simply take power out. Because you can't, you know, even a, even a feature race with all that in, on a real dry track, you still don't get past half throttle, three wow. quarters throttle. Okay, jeez. 900 horses. Talk us through, I want to just get back, all three of you back in the discussion then. Talk us through the influence of your father, Pino, and, and, your, and your whole family. But, but talk us through his influence growing up as kids, as boys. It can be good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, obviously, my dad started racing the year I was born. Um, and it's, you know, my dad is probably one of the most passionate people if it's not if it's not at Speedway, it's at golf, you know, if it's not at the Italian club, you know, trying to save his handicap so he can win the next tournament, it's no different to racing. And, um, you know, it, it's everyone's so competitive and we've grown up, you know, being competitive as a family and, um, you know, even now, you know, David racing, obviously, you know, there's nothing I want more than my brother to win, even if I'm in the same race. But if he comes alongside me, I don't want him to pass me. Yeah. So it's and he does the same. Me, he doesn't race me any any different to anyone else. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously he he generally knows what move I'm probably going to do because he helped me for a few years and kind of taught me some things. So he probably knows more of how I'm going to race or what I'm going to do or where I'm going to slip up. Um, but yeah, the, the competitive nature is awesome between yeah. you know what we do. Yeah, I think the um, the big thing with Dad, obviously, I was probably old enough that uh, you know I was helping him on the pit crew and stuff back then. But um, what always stood out with Dad, um, you know, that I really looked up to and valued was um, just he was always different. You know, he was always looking to be different than his competitor. Let's stand out. Let's, um, you know, he was the first. He bring IKEA into the sport. We're talking a global company into into sprint car racing at Claremont Speedway. Well, you know? these were neighbours, weren't yeah, you? You yeah, were neighbours with IKEA exactly back right. in the day. Exactly right. That all come about. Um, you know, because he, obviously IKEA was next door to his service station. You know, he would put um, 
on a Saturday they'd be chock-a-block there so he'd have colouring in competition of his sprint car in the kids' playroom with all the balls at Ikea that you all remember. Um, and that was just Dad being proactive. He said he went over to Ikea and said, look, I've got these colouring in competitions, the kids will love them, let's do it. And that obviously helped build a relationship. And then through his service station, he, again, thinking outside the box, trying to be different, he said to the, he looked next door on a Saturday and saw all these cars. He thought, God, if only half of them come here and bought some fuel off me, I can start a World of Outlaws team in America. So he walked over there and he said, all right, next week, here's what we're going to do. Everyone that comes over with the IKEA docket, I'm going to give them three cents a litre off. And, and that basically kick-started the discount field thing in Western wow. Australia. Um, and again, it was just him thinking outside the, the square. And, uh, and in his sprint car racing, he, um, he, he just did it. He always presented immaculate equipment. And I think that's, that's gone on through, through the, the ranks. You know, we, we've looked up to that, so now we're putting that to, to good use. Um, he, he was the first West Aussie, you know, he wasn't wasn't content with staying in WA and being good over here. He said, you know, I want a new challenge. So went over to Sydney and, uh, and embarked on a challenge to be the first West Australian to ever win at Parramatta Raceway. You know, Ron Cricky couldn't do it. Or Baba Gallo couldn't do it. A lot of people tried, never could. So he, um, he used to race here on a Friday night, jump on the midnight flight. You imagine that, racing here till 10.30 at Claremont, racing to the airport, midnight flight. Every time, everyone knows what time that arrives in Sydney, 6 a.m. You don't sleep drive straight out to where the car was, which was two hours away, prep the car that day, drive to the racetrack in Sydney, race that night, wash it that day, prep it on the Sunday, fly home. He opened up the service station on a Monday morning. So that was the dedication that he showed, and uh, and that's the dedication we filmed. And, and he succeeded in his goal. He became yeah. the first uh, West Australian to ever win in Sydney. And, um, yeah, just super cool. Like, I'm... I'm stoked for, for Dad, what he's achieved in his career with drag racing or sprint cars. Now that I understand you know, what it took to do that, I started at 19, it's easy for me. I just started my business, didn't really have a lot of commitments, didn't even have a family. He started at 30, he had two service stations going at the time, he had four boys, you know, he had a lot, lot going on at 30 years old, you know, um, and then to go and, go and embark on that journey racing and, and, and kickstart it all for us. He, he, had he not started, we wouldn't, probably wouldn't even know what racing is. So, yeah, um, yeah we've got a lot to thank for that. One thing you haven't mentioned, and I bought a prop tonight. You can keep it, actually. You can take it home to your, to your dad. One thing you haven't mentioned is his football career. <laughs> <laughs> Pino was a formidable football player where my boys play, actually, at the Sterling, well, Osmond Park football club there he is 1990 he's played 200 games back in 1990 so pass that on to your dad actually i don't know he might ha he might have Trust a copy me, of that that's his background on his phone at the moment oh is it yeah uh, <laughs> someone even sent him like a write-up of him when he paid for uh the colts or whatever and he was the best player on the like on his first game best in 30 years or something and someone sent him the right up from the paper and no joke that went around for weeks just <laughs> everyone knew about it you know i think he played 200 games twice um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's a few photos getting around yeah, there's a few photos getting, but um and then later on uh, like he went racing for years and years and years started slowing down with racing oh, i'll go back to footy that lasted about a quarter. I think he kicked a goal and pulled a hammy in the same quarter. And that was the, it. That was it. Done the Motadella Street I think that, the, Figal, <laughs> the Figalaminis got him back there later on in life. I remember that. But 
It didn't last long at all. That was, uh, yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, that is actually in prime position at the football club, isn't it? Like my wife's on the committee there, and it's in prime spot down yeah. on the football club there. So yeah, a lot of people say, "I saw we saw your dad in the, at the footy club." Yeah, but uh, we should show him the uh, player, the players' review from back then. Okay, that, he was always the one sliding across the table and. Yeah, some of the some of the Imagine him dressed reviews. up as a woman. Yeah. He's, he's the dress half half man, half woman. Yeah. He's the Renee Renato. <laughs> Renee Renato. But who remembers that? Do you remember that? Renee and Renato? Yeah. Is there many sure people that remember that? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he done it a few times because actually the Claremont Speedway went through a, a time where they did a drivers and riders review at the end, and, it, and it got pretty big. I've got I've got some good videos of Gavin Migro and stuff, sing, lot of singers, <laughs> you know, and, and a bunch of the, like, Ron Creek, and everyone got involved back then, you know. Now, yeah. oh, someone will put on social media, you don't want to see yeah. it, but back then it was, it was pretty cool to watch. Like, we, we've still got them on the tape So somewhere. is it coming back? Is it coming back? Quite, maybe something for Chris, Chris, yeah, Chris, yeah, sure. Chris to organise, you know. We'll ask yeah, Chris in a minute. Sure. One last question for you guys. Have you guys ever contemplated, because your father made the switch, have you guys contemplated making the switch in further down, go, I'm, going I'm, door I'm sure slammer? I'm David got the exact same answer here. Um, it's funny, you talked about it earlier with, you know, short, sharp events. I, I'm, you know, not passionate about drag racing, but I'd go watch Dad and support him, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stay there for more than four or five hours. I think... They need to, you know, condense it into shorter, yeah. sharper events and, and what people want to watch. Um, you know, to watch a car and then it doesn't come out for another two or three hours. And, you know, look you know, look at little David's boy Cruz. He wants to sit on his phone. They don't want to... They can't pay attention for five hours. Um, you know, back then when we were kids, we used to have to go run to the fence and pick up a tear-off and run around a tree. Now yeah. they just go on their phone. Yeah, so yeah. it's probably a lot different. Um, I know, I, I think for me, one, when I'm... Um, you know, the, the, when I know my time's up and I finish, I think there wouldn't definitely be any temptation to go to the other side for me. I think um, the raw passion of the sport, um, yeah, you can't race sprint cars when you're too old, but I think, you know, the fact that you can, you know, I, I say it this way, in drag racing, you've got a good car, good people, you can win or lose and you can do good things with, you know, a lot of money. There's a lot of people that come into Speedway with a lot of money that, you know, they, they can't win a race and they can barely get, um, get in the top... 15, 20 and you know the fact that you know I can have a really bad night and start 20th um, you know we had, we had one race a couple of years ago um, heard an engine that I just got back from freshened up and it was just a, um, a, a tiny hiccup but we couldn't fix it at the track and at the time I was building a new transporter so my spare engine was at the workshop and we're like okay we've heard an engine where's the other engine I said oh, it's in the toilet at the workshop so We've gone, oh, well, and this, this happened in hot laps. So your first two practice laps of the night, we've got no engine for the night. So, well, it's in the toilet in Wangara. So Jason's jumped in Dad's ute, driven to, to Wangara. I think, I don't know how many speeding fines I probably got, but somehow he got to Wangara, loaded the motor, and back to the motorplex in one hour. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah. Can it, be done. And, can and, be done. Yeah, and, and the, even that night, they were on the way back, and then there was a crash in the race that was before me and tore the fence down. Like, you know what, we can make it. And he got there, I'm like, there's no point. Once you, you drop a race, you're starting at the back of the final. Yeah. Um, and back then the car counts were a little bit less, so I knew I was going to be in the final. And I think I went 24th to 4th that night. So you can have, you know, you can start from the back and resolve a good night. It can go the other way too, don't worry. You could end up hanging the yeah. car out of the fence. But um, 
Funny story I wanted to, to add on. You were talking about family stuff before, um, just before we finish up. When we first started, you know, getting into racing, me and, and Jason, I think I was about eight or nine, and Jason was probably 10 or 11. So we've, you know, people probably don't realise this, but my dad was racing himself. So any racing that any of us boys did, we paid for ourselves. So whether it was our birthday money or, you know, our communion or confirmation money, that's what bought our, our go-karts or whatever. So anyway, somehow Jason wanted to go racing go-karts. So I've got sucked in. I probably just had a, a, a birthday or something and got some money in. So I got sucked into buying half this go-kart and it was, Jason's going to race it and you're going to practice it. Anyway, Jason raced it for a while. I think I got to drive it once. And then the car gets sold. And then we're sitting there one night. And I said, it was probably a f six months later, I said to her, Mum, whatever happened to the money? And we're, mind you, we're eight, nine years old. We're cruiser's age, right? So we're like, whatever happened to the money from our go-kart we sold? And then Mum goes, oh, I don't know. Well, I'll ask Dad tonight. And then we're, at we're having dinner that night. And Mum says, Dad, whatever happened to that money? Oh, yeah, we're... Yeah, you got that back, didn't you? And then mum, dad goes, oh, well, what we'll do, you two boys can have the car trailer and the car trailer, which was used for David's junior sedan racing. And I said, we're like eight and ten years old. What am I doing with the car trailer? <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny. So and I had that car trailer up till I was about 15 and then I, I finally got to sell it. <laughs> Oh, Actually, before you go, you mentioned um, money, obviously, in you know, what it takes. And uh, Andrew, we all know that you're looking for a major sponsor to take the, the top wing. Do you want to uh, give us a, you know, a bit of, I don't know, what's sort of involved in that or what are you sort of expecting? Um, yeah, it's obviously, um, I, I've kind of taken a little bit of different approach this year. To, um, I, I did know pretty early that my major sponsor had sold the business. So... We were, we were basically in the middle of negotiating for another... Um, I had a three-year term with them, with Highway Harley-Davidson, and um, now that we've, you know, I've, you know, I've started by having, you know, people I work with, New Style Living, who are um, still involved in my racing, and then um, to be involved with... I had Sea-Doo Sport and Leisure, so to be involved with corporate branding like Sea-Doo and kind of like what Dad had with IKEA, it's, it's not easy to get those sort of brands involved and no. had Can-Am and stuff on the car, so that was pretty full-on, and then... Obviously, to be involved with Harley Davidson, you know, you're representing, you know, a, a shop but also a national brand. So, um, going into this year, I didn't just want to, um, you know, just go, oh, who's going to, you know, basically sponsor me. I want to make sure there's something in it for, for them and they're going to get a lot out of it and also have, you know, I've built the team up to have a brand. So, I want to, um, you know, I want my next sponsor, I want to be, a, a, you know, something that, you know, is promotable, I can give back to them because... You know, as anyone knows in racing, it's, um, you know, if you, if you can't provide something to give back to them, it's not just about advertising anymore. So, and obviously Titan Ford are one of my main sponsors now. Um, and we sold 29 cars for them last year um, just by referrals and stuff. So, you know, you keep doing that stuff for your sponsors and definitely the negotiations get easier yeah. when it's time to, to go and renegotiate. So I'm hopefully going to... Um, I'm talking to a few people at the moment for um, new major sponsorship, but in the meantime, I'm probably, you know, to, to take the time to get the right one because I really want to have, like, a three-year term with the next sponsor. And a lot goes into it. You know, you probably... It's probably a $20,000 exercise um, to, to rebrand a race team, whether that's the... Tr to do it properly. Yeah. We don't just put a sticker on the wing. We rebrand the whole team and make sure it suits that brand's... That, you know, company's brand and whatever. Even though Jason's my brother who signs rights and designs everything, 
um, you might save a bit on material, but it costs you more on dinner. So it's still a $20,000 job. <laughs> well, big shout out to your sponsors there. So I know Tight, uh, Louis Salvadelli there, yeah. uh, Mark Rossett, uh, Christian Managello at Titans. They're great guys. Also Daniel Bertoli as well at New Style Living. Great guy as well. And obviously the Barbagellos as well, Vince Barbagello at, at um, Barbagellos. Guys, unless you guys had anything else, yeah, look, it's been a pleasure. Sorry, I'm, David. I'm actually surprised uh, just listening back to some of the podcasts of, the, of this automotive show. It's all been about Italian sausages and how to do salami day. I'm, I'm disappointed it wasn't part of the discussion today, I'll be honest. But Sorry. <laughs> maybe next time we'll get on and talk about salami day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should maybe we should do that actually do a sausage day and tomato sauce day. You probably would have been better off doing a just a video podcast for this because Italians talk with their hands. So, yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. <laughs> when, not... when you say killing the pig around Italians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. All right, guys. Look, it's been a pleasure having you guys on. Uh, thanks for coming here tonight. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all the best for the upcoming season. We'll take a short break here. We'll get Todd and Chris straight on right after this. Thanks, guys. We hope you're liking this podcast. If you are, head to our iTunes or Spotify um, podcast channel and like and subscribe to us there. Also, head to our website, tnpmedia.au. You can get all of our episodes, every single one we've ever recorded from our website there as well. There's also a heap of YouTube content, so head to our YouTube channel and subscribe to us there. That's Talking Power. Wherever you get us, make sure you like and subscribe us there. Uh, we can really do with the, uh, the subs. Thanks, everyone. Now back to the second half of the podcast. All right, welcome to part two of this podcast, our Christmas special podcast. We're joined now, we've got Todd, Todd up here, our, one of I'm our regular bench. co-hosts. And we've also got with us from the Perth Motorplex, Chris Mitchell. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to be part of this. And, and I, I had to go through the, the customs control at the front door to yeah. get into the WA Italian <laughs> Club. Like, it's just in case. <laughs> we noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of talking with your hands, I had to join in. Fair enough. Hey, Chris, talk us through like your role. I was at the Golden States, and um, one of my observations was that you pretty much didn't leave that commentary box. I don't think you did at all. It wasn't entirely by design. Uh, so, so just a snapshot. My role at the Motorplace actually the last five years. I started in drag racing uh, as as a commentator, just kind of joining in in the daytime session and filling the gaps where everyone else wanted to, you know, go take a leak and stuff like that. I was just the the kicker, you know. Uh, over time, that kind of builds up and up, and then uh, they started offering me the bigger gigs. But um, since I started there in July full time, taking on marketing and special events, I, I've kind of inherited. The, uh, the pseudo role of helping run the drag racing program while the, yeah. while the venue goes through a transitional period and I'll say yeah. that lightly, trying to, trying to help find a new drag racing manager and get back onto having someone dedicated in that role. But uh, it wasn't by design that I ended up in the commentary box the whole time. It was kind of something that uh, that started out and then I didn't really get the chance to leave. Yeah. But um, you know what, we, we take it, that that's part of the, the sport and, and drag racing at the moment, it is a marathon. Yeah. You have to grit and bear it sometimes it's, it's, it's a long night for a long day and long day and long night tell, tell us what it's like working with wade oranger uh you don't get many words in in between times <laughs> with wade o but he's a great operator and he's one of the few people i know in this business that 
has the ability to walk into a room and it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you do, he'll say something that'll make you smile and then, and then you, you're in his vortex from there. Yeah. It's his world and you're just living in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he uh, seems like a formidable... He's been around a long time, Wade, hasn't he? Like, he was doing Speedway, like, when I was a little kid. He, he started at Claremont doing, doing programs. Yeah, yeah. Under, under Con Micro, under his tutelage, and, and that's where he got to. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember, Wade, from back then. Must be, must be great working. And as I said, I noticed that you were in that commentary box the, pretty much the whole night. Uh, give us a rundown then on the Festival of Sprint Cars. I know we spoke about it before, but from a Motorplex point of view, talk us through it. What, what, what's, what we should expect? Uh, look, for how it got started, I'm not sure how I can and can't re- how much I can and can't reveal. Uh, I didn't get the chance to, to kind of brief with Gavin Migro before I came on the podcast, but it was, um, it was something that we very quickly decided, you know what, World Series Sprint Cars isn't going to happen. We all know that the, there's a lot of backstory and stuff behind that. We've got February, which which we want on the West Coast to, to really become our stranglehold on national sprint car racing. And, and that doesn't happen overnight. And it's not something you can just be bullish and walk in and say, all right, we own February. You've got to give people an incentive. You've got to give people a reason to come and play. So we sat down and we said, all right, what can we do? And uh, Gavin, with his endless amount of connections, got on the phone to, to Wendy Turner and, uh, and immediately started speaking about the, the Australian Sprint Car Nationals and, and taking over the trademark for that event as a name. And then we went, okay, well, we've got the Cricky Boys race and, and if we can put on the, the second race to join on with the Cricky Boys race to build up this, this fortnight-long onslaught of racing, then we could really have something here. But at the end of the day, Sprint Car Racing is built around money. Money talks. So what better amount of money to throw at it than 30K to win? Thirty thousand dollars to win. That's awesome. It's, it is. Uh, it's massive. Yeah, yeah, and one hundred and sixty thousand dollars all up for the for the week. So that is that is a great incentive there. Talk us through. Also, we've got coming up. We've got the rundown here on Speed Week. I've got the dates here. So it's Boxing Day. It's USA versus WA Speed Week. Then the twenty eighth Sprint Car Muster. Then this the second of January USA versus WA Speed Week again, and then the thirteenth the Speed Week final. Just talk us through what, what we could expect there. I mean, what more can you can you add to the expectations than you've got uh, some of, if not the best, sprint car drivers on the planet coming to the most isolated capital city in the world? I know we like to throw that around a lot, being in Perth, but it's true. And, and when, you, when you've got Rico as one of our first announcements of, of Speed Week drivers uh, coming to Perth and who's been watching us and he wanted to come to Perth, that, that's, that's the incredible thing about it, is he was really yeah. excited, and, and he is really excited, and he's bringing his own merchandise, he's bringing his own cars. Rico Abreu, just a force of nature in the world of sprint car racing in the modern day, was one of our first announcements. And then we got Brad Sweet coming along as well, not to mention, you know, Corey Lyson, uh, defending Speed Week champ, Brock Ziafoss, former, former Speed Week champ. Just those four Americans, and I think it's the first time we've got four Americans coming to the West Coast to race Speed Week since the 90s, since the Claremont days. So j- just that in its own is just mouthwatering. Not to mention you've got two rounds at Bunbury Speedway as well on New Year's Day and on Jan 6th uh, to, to break up some of the in-betweens. Yep. You've got six rounds of Speed Week across that. Big name Americans coming and immediately that's generated so much interest from interstate drivers that have looked at what we've got going on and, and even despite their own you know, Clay Purview Speed Week happening up and down the East Coast and various events happening at, at T-Bar and through Premier and Avalon and all that. Yeah. They're looking at Perth and going, you know what? We could send a truck over. 
we could mm. we could have a crack at this yeah because the platform that we've got and and the involvement of people like Dean Neal and and the work that's gone on behind the scenes to build up our our interaction and our involvement with Night Thunder on Seven Plus and being able to put sprint car racing on national television is just next level. Yeah, it, it, the Speed Week that is coming up is is not to be missed. It's yeah. going to be one of the best of modern day, and and it, it's in the running to be one of the best we've got of all time. Yeah, I remember Speed Week. That's been that's that's an event that's been around a long, long, long time. I don't think I've got a T-shirt at home from the '90s for Speed Week, so. I, I do I have fond memories of it. Just switching uh, over to the other side of the track, talk us through Western Nationals. Can't wait for this event. Um, but not only the Western Nationals, we've got the Battle at the Beach as well, Jet Dragsters. But firstly, tell, tell us, talk us through the Western Nationals. What can we expect there coming up? Well, Western Nationals is typically the event where, where all of drag racing gets it together after a long season of developing you know, new combinations. They all come together to have a big swing at the fence. Uh, it brings together not only all of your best races from all over Western Australia, but everyone in the country loves to come to the Western Nationals and have a crack. It's been through its fair share of trials and tribulations as an event. It's difficult to come to the West, we acknowledge that. But putting it on with Top Fuel and the, now the new involvement with uh, the newly formed NDRC National Drag Racing Championship uh, at the helm of that, you know, with having Andy Lopez and Nathan Prendergast helping steer that championship to, to bigger and better things, it's going to be awesome. But it's, yeah. the, it's the only opportunity for fans to see Top Fuel in the year of 2024 that's yeah, okay. that's a big one that's what we're selling to the people and we've got you know the, the christmas early bird special tickets on sale now that you can buy your two-day passes for a bit of a special discount yep. uh, to get them in before christmas but as a whole that that labor day long weekend where you don't have to go to work on a monday you, you can stick around you can see all the action you can see the record setting races and you can see you know 3.1 magnitude earthquakes on the start line from 11,000 horsepower a piece stop fuel cars there's nothing else like it yeah yeah no it is awesome i got my dose of nitro funny car back again after so many years how good was that yeah, yeah it was awesome how good was that it was it was incredible it was awesome mate and um you know well done to the the um rocket team coming over and you know putting on a great awesome show as well begs as well should put on a pretty good show as well so the nitro funny car is where it's at for me i've always had a uh, an infinity for nitro funny car mind you top fuel as well is pretty cool too so we're looking forward to that what i, I noticed that there's a gap on the calendar in february is it, are we likely to see that one get filled in the 24th of February. From memory, last year that was Street Outlaws. Can I preempt another Street Outlaws come in here? Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to let you down too quickly. But 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 we're no. having conversations about what we may do to fill that that February gap. I mean, the season prior we had a gap around Australia Day weekend, uh, where we actually put on the the Chase the Ace or Chase the Eight competition, which was designed around getting people involved with street cars at a competition level with, yeah. with eight grand up for grabs on a drag racing format. Um, so we're looking at different ideas, what we can do, uh, various things to, to get more people involved or put on special events. You never know what's around the corner. And, and you never know who else is out there that is looking to bring other events to the motorplex that are not necessarily drag racing, burnouts, oh, or yeah. speedway. Yep. And there's lots of opportunities out there and there's lots of different conversations going on at the moment. Because Perth Motorplex, and uh, thank you to, to everyone who built that this venue it, back in the day in the, in the late 90s and ultimately opening up 
uh, December 15, 2000. It's actually turning 24 in a couple of days, yeah. uh, the Motorplex. But, um, you know, to have such a great multi-purpose venue that there's nothing else like it in Australia, let alone many places in the world, there's a lot of other sports that are looking in at the venue and looking at what they can do in the Motorplex to utilise it, even for, for things like go-kart racing, where uh, we're looking at what we can do at the Plex. Yeah, OK. All right. So stay tuned. Just my two cents worth. You know what I really enjoyed at the Street Outlaws event, and we, you could do it quite easily, a 6.0 and a 7.0 class, 8 mile. It was awesome. I loved it. That was, I actually enjoyed watching that just as much as the Street Outlaws. But on a prep track, Did not... Did they not actually race? I, I remember a lot of negotiating, no, well, hands-waving. No, but talking. the 6.0, 7.0 class was pretty cool. So I don't know if anyone else thought the same thing. I really yeah, enjoyed it. There was only three cars in Now the 6.0 <laughs> and the 7.0, I think there was, there was probably a bit more than that. But I reckon in the 6.0 oh. and the 7.0... <laughs> Well, I don't get a joke. It wasn't that many, there wasn't that many cars. No, 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 I thought there was a few. Wasn't there? Everything was has to start somewhere, right? And yeah. That format of racing has been tried already at, at places like Red Centenats out in, out in Alice Springs, uh, running a, in a festival environment that's designed to be you know, a festival of wheels to get people all over the country heading to the Red Centre. They want to put on some drag racing. They want to give people the opportunity to have fun with their cars. But you don't want to get caught up in all of the, the malarkey and, and, and digging through rules of Group 3 Dial Your Own Handicap Racing. You just have 6-0, 7-0, 8-0, yeah, no racing. It. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah, yeah. Someone like, you know, Jules's car, John over there, who built or helped build Jules's car, that's a 7-0 car every day of the week, you know what I mean? To the 8th mile. And that, that well, you know, even the Camry's a 7-0, just about. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, we've got to work on the short time if you want that to run <laughs> Anyway, but you know what I mean? It's in, it's in the vicinity. So, oh, I don't know, that's just, my, that's just my two cents worth. How great was also, just while I got you, how great was it to have J-Mac back as well? Is he back long-term or is he back on the bike? It's, it's to be determined with J-Mac, and I keep giving him a bit for it because he, he can't really make up his mind. But, but you know, J-Mac actually brought me into the Motorplex yeah. uh, to, to get me my start. And we work, started working together... Prior to that, I, I met him at a toy car race. Uh, you know, that's where my, my you know, whatever you call the career started in radio control car racing. But I met him out there, and then he, he called me up one week and said, oh, let's go to the management 15,000. And that's where I met Wade Orndra, actually, and we yeah. went, did motocross racing. I never watched a motocross race in my life and was expected to announce the biggest one in the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> um, you can, you can, it goes pretty much how you expect it to go. But, but then he decided, you know, why don't we take you into the motorplex and give you a crack? And shortly after that, he goes, well, I'm going to go ride my race bike and go get started. And then he kind of stepped away from commentary. So it's been good. Uh, it's been really good bringing him back. He brings, he brings that knowledge and just the way he, he uses his words and he flows on and he, he picks up on it straight away. And I think actually after being away and going racing for a little while has made him even better in the commentary box. Yeah. It would be hard to give up the racing to do the commentary. And, and the, even the other way, I think for him it would have been hard to give up the commentary to go racing. Yeah. Sitting out there in the pits, and you guys have been out there in the pits listening to those idiot commentators <laughs> going on for hours on end and they don't know what they're talking about. You just want to climb up the pole and turn the speaker off. But he had no, to no, endure that. you don't need that. to do that. There's a little cover down the bottom. Oh, yeah. You, you just... unscrew that and cut the wire. <laughs> 
Just get the pocket, the pocket knife on the box, mate. <laughs> Flick the wire and you're good to go. But for him to be able to, to go through that cycle and now come back to commentary and bring that extra insight, I think is really cool. And, and he's fun to be around as well. He's my mate, so we get along really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's a good guy. And uh, we've had J-Mac on the podcast before, actually, talking motorbikes. Um, Not surprising. R- riders, riders Advocate Group he was representing back then. So, yeah, so, no, he's a good guy, uh, J- uh, Jared. Todd, I'll bring you in now. What, do you, what have you been up to? I know you've done a few coffees and cars. I saw you. I didn't see you, but I know you were down there at the same time as I was. Yeah, that's about it at the moment. Yeah. Um, I did see the Bugatti Chiron, 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 whatever you call it. Call it. It's, it's amazing to stay up, up close. Let's just put it that way. Um, I had a chat with some guys from the UK. Uh, seen through glass podcast. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's interesting, interesting to see how they tour the world and do things a bit different. Um, the awesome thing was though, being a podcaster talking to other pod- podcasters, instant connection. Like, like we knew each other for thirty years, talking cars, and they've driven million dollar cars, and here I am talking about my bucket of shit Evo Five. Sorry to cut that one out in the car park, and the guy's like, "I'd love an Evo. Can I go have a look?" And he's walked out past million-dollar cars to look at my Evo that's dirty as hell in the car park. And I'm like, my year's mate. Like, that's the best thing's ever happened to me at the moment. You know what I mean? Did you tell him about the blade as well? You got a blade? Oh, yeah. They couldn't <laughs> believe it. They're like, a what? And I went, yeah. No, yeah. So, <laughs> that's been about it, really. Yeah, okay. So, no, fair enough. Yeah. I know you've, I've seen you out and about, and uh, I know you've been did, busy with doing did, stuff. Did action at that last uh, co- classic Cars and Coffee, I heard, Todd? Yeah, oh, and yeah, the million people as well. No, I'm talking about oh. the action. No, the, the action. The guy that got yeah, on the look, trans brake. I, I was, was actually sitting the brake. I was actually about four or five cars down the road, believe it or not. There, there was definitely a guy that Nothing sat the brake. Okay. No, there was a. De- I was there. There's a guy. Anyway, we won't mention names. Yeah, yeah we can't. We can't get in trouble because I've got to be nice to those people for now. Yeah, for there now. was a bit of trans brake and two-step <laughs> action happening as well. But anyway. Good luck to them. They had that. Are that. you talking about the exotic cars? No, no, oh, no, no. There was. Oh, yeah. There was. It was everything. There was. Uh, yeah. There was. It was pretty wild Sunday so, afternoon. So, if you've got an expensive car like a, a Lambo or whatever, it's all right to do a burnout leaving cars and coffee. Uh, no comment. <laughs> can't, can't say it. Can't talk about that. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> no comment. We can't say anything. Anyway. <laughs> Isn't that like racism? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm sure it is. No, I. I uh, needless to say, the the guy in the Monaro, the two Monaros were not alone. That's all I'll say. The guys in the two Monaros were not alone. That's all I'll say. That's anyway. <laughs> Speaking of Cackle Fest as well, Johnny, oh, you, sent we a, you sent a video through the other day. Todd sent that video. Oh, yeah, was it Todd? Yeah, yeah. I am jealous, but blame me. But so, so just set the scene here. It was an, uh, it was the it was the Hyundai, uh, the Enfest, 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 Enfest. Those playing at home, Enfinelli. Well, why why is it? They feel they feel grabbing straight at uh, Sydney Raceway there, Eastern Creek, with with what five hundred? Yes, uh, over five hundred. And they yeah. were all i thirty ends. Yeah, they're all yeah. More, and yeah, part of the end. And, uh, He's gone too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys are like end brothers. Yeah. 
Yeah, we represent. <laughs> have to. These guys, they're jealous. They, they don't, don't understand it. it. No. They don't get it. You don't have one, you don't know. Some of the comments you saw when you were saying it was like it was the Mardi Gras for cars. Oh, <laughs> when I read that, I, I just thought. <laughs> if you chose to buy a Korean hatchback as, as your performance car, then you get the looks you get for a reason. And I drive one and I, I can say that. Yeah, but I think Hyundai's, you know, come a long way. We, we've, we've accepted it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's... But I think my, my raising the, uh, bringing that forward was more the no other manufacturer does what Hyundai does with this festival. And they've grown from uh, the last three years from like 200 or something cars at a racetrack to I think they had over 500 at this meet. Um, and it just seems to be getting bigger and bigger. And the, that, that, uh, that crew or that type of uh, vehicle is just, yeah, it's just growing in popularity like HSV and FPV in their, in their heyday. So, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, just in comparison to the, the competitors, no other manufacturer does what they do for, for, their, for their customers. The, their national marketing guys are top bloke. I've, I've spoke to them a few yeah, times. Yeah, you were saying. But they are, it is, it is a formidable brand now and they've come a long way. You know, we used to make fun of Hyundai's yeah. and Kia's as well. And now look at them where they are. Yeah, you, you used to make fun of them. Yeah. Oh, no, really. I, mean, I, I saw I never buy one, and here we are. Yeah. Yeah, I know. No, it's, it's amazing. And I will. I'll do. And um, if there's any sponsors out there looking to sponsor two guys to go to the next, when's it? When is it at, at I the don't bend? Know. No, no, they haven't released it. Yet. The next one Hopefully is the Hopefully, it's here. We don't have to go anywhere. We're thinking of going. No, taking the, one over here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. The i30N over. There's some sponsors out there that are interested in funding a road trip. Technically, your Evo's a Hyundai. I know you're going to bring that up. I was waiting for that. I was absolutely waiting for that. Fair enough. Anyway, some some hypotheticals there anyway. Hey, um, Christmas gifts. I don't know if you guys have, like, for your your wives, are thinking for some Christmas gifts. Valtteri Bottas has released his nude calendar for 2024. I just thought it was unusual. Valtteri Formula One driver would be releasing a new nude calendar. Did anyone did anyone he, catch that at all? Has he got the um, the mower and the mullet as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was all inspired. Sorry, my order comes on Tuesday. No, it's just interesting um, that uh, the Valtteri Bottas has uh, gone for a nude calendar in 2024. Excellent Christmas gift, I think. I think Nicole uh, wanted a new set of Hemi valves. Oh, okay, yeah, ones. yeah. I think she said that, yes. And, and I remember you saying pistons, that, Nicole. Eh? Yep. <coughs> Didn't you say you want 11 after 1 compression pistons? Yeah. <laughs> PSI service as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the best gift I think this, this year has given, but is, is Peter Adderton's sending Ryan Wilkinshaw some boost sim cards during the Optus outage. <laughs> I thought that was gold. That was my favourite. That was my favourite thing this year. Peter Adderton said in that. I thought that was that was quite fitting. All right, guys. Well, look, we'll bring this podcast to an end. Chris, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, guys. Greatly appreciated. Uh, if you want to catch us, we're going to be at Sunset at Hearn Hill on the sixth of January. So we'll be there at Sunset, that's with the radio station, 88.5 FM. 
Also, we're going to be the week after, the 14th of January, uh, at the Northern Steel, Perry Lakes. And congratulations to Pete and Alison from Northern Steel. Uh, their Christmas toy run was huge. I saw some photos uh, this week, and uh, congratulations to them. Put on a great show for the Northern, for the kids at at, uh, at the Children's Hospital. So congratulations to th- to them. Look and. Guys, thank you very much for what you guys do. Johnny, Todd, Simon, of course, you as well. Uh, it's been another great year. We had some really great interviews as well. How are you, Peter? Peter's just come up here to the, the table. We had Dave Reynolds on this year from Supercar Fame. Matt Payne, he's our man. Johnny yep. and I are taking credit for his success, Matt Payne. Because <laughs> ever since we interviewed him, he's gone great guns. So we'll put that, we'll chalk that one up with us. You wouldn't believe it. I actually saw Dave Reynolds and Matt Payne the week after we interviewed yeah, them in Tasmania. And they come up to me at the airport, hey, how are you going? And all these other people around me say, how do you know that guy? <laughs> <laughs> see mate anyway so yeah uh, Dave Couch as well caught up with him Chapman Brothers that was awesome we've got to revisit the Chapman Brothers uh, Monster Jams Bryce Kenny Phil and Dan from Aussie Garage TV Mitchell Rando who was uh, this year's Motivation Grand Champion we also had a blast down at Pinjara Max as well and of course Craig Marsland that we interviewed at your shop Johnny that was an awesome interview as well Steve uh, Salvaranis uh, Mike and Andy from, well, Mike from Beat the Heat, Andy from uh, Therapy on Wheels. Yeah, the Race for Cause charity event. There were all the live interviews we did this year. It was great. We can't do it without the help of many people. We really need to thank Jimmy and Peter and Carlos from 88.5 FM. They're very helpful. Uh, Rowan at the Hen House is always very accommodating. Um, the team at Penrite, in particular, Aaron and Cameron. Uh, the Perth Motorplex, in particular Chris Mitchell here. The entire team here at the WA Italian Club. The Perth Car Club as well for allowing me to use their trailer and amp and other things when I took off down to Pinjara. That was a lot of fun. That probably cooked the clutch, I reckon. That was the, the death knock for the XW's clutch, that one. Um, you, don't, you don't think that rear main leak that's been going for 40 years may have had some... That, 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 that rear main has Or the rust been in leaking. the chassis? That's, it, that, <laughs> shh, shh. that's actually one of the gags here. World's longest rear main oil leak repair job is underway. So it's been leaking for 18 years. I reckon years, the I next joke's going to be how long it takes you to get that car back on the road. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Don't talk to me about it. But anyway, I've actually ordered some bits. I, I've, I've offered to go and TIG everything <laughs> in. These mates are here. Look, you can see one in the corner there. You know what I mean? Don't know what I've, to do. I've ordered that bit. but I've got that bit, by the way. It arrived yesterday. Linda goes, what the hell is that? Hey, John. Yeah, now you know. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so thanks to the Perth Car Club as well. And, of course, you guys as well. You guys turn up diligently week after week. I don't. We, we, <laughs> we record this pretty much every two weeks. Not always, but we try and do it every two weeks. So thanks to you guys. Really appreciate everything you do. I think our biggest thanks should really go to our families as well because they let us do these things. So Angela, Gianni... There he is, Johnny's over there, he's just turned up from soccer training. Uh, Valentina, Nicole who's over there as well. Uh, Nicholas and Peter, they've come here tonight as well. Uh, Linda, my wife, uh, Nicholas and Mark for putting up with me. They come and help me out as well. They look really interested right now. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you to everyone. And uh, just one last shout out. If, 
If there are any single women out there, we'd love to be thanking Todd's partner right now as well. <laughs> so... <laughs> hey, Nick, you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe he doesn't want a girlfriend. Maybe oh, he yeah. wants... No, I don't know. You can't just yeah, assume yeah, these yeah, days, sorry. mate. I think a bottle there right next to <laughs> you, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. It's been another great year and we really enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, no, re- looking forward to a big 2024. So thank you. Thank you to our crowd. Thank you to the Priolo brothers for coming out tonight. Cruz as well. Good luck with next year, 2024. We'll be watching. And uh, thank you to everyone. Thank you for the crew that came here tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.